stop the signal. Um, as uh, as like a contributor to Wasabi, so people know I am biased, right? Okay, well, you, you just did it because I started the recording. So <laughs> <laughs> everybody, welcome to The Signal. Um, obviously, as you just heard, we have um, a crew here who is a contributor to Wasabi. Um, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin privacy. We're going to be talking about uh, software to help you do it. And uh, I guess kind of best practices uh, overall. And then we'll see where the conversation goes. So do you want to give it a more official intro? I hit the I hit the record button as you were talking and I was like, shit, shit, shit. No, nah, that'll probably be perfect timing. So if you didn't hear, uh, I'm Crew. I'm a contributor with Wasabi. Um, I don't do any specific programming, so I'm not going to help you uh, with your with your computer programming homework. But I can explain to you all the different ways that um, Bitcoin is not private and how Bitcoin can be private. So, perfect. yeah, go on. I said perfect. That's that's uh, I think that's the gist of the episode. So let's um, let's start. Do you want to start out with where? I want to I want to like cover some ways that Bitcoin can not be private so that then we can get into how Bitcoin can be private. So do you want to give an overview on on some of the deficiencies from from your side and I'll chime in as as needed? Yeah, so we're going to approach this from like the perspective of someone who's like politically targeted, like maybe, you know, you're somebody buying something on the Silk Road and like privacy really matters whether or not, you know, you spend a certain amount of time, you know, locked away. But let's say that you're just doing something innocent um, from anyone's standards and you're just like a politically targeted um, individual, right? To where someone wants to blacklist you from uh, whatever polite society, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want anyone finding out who's funding you or who's accepting your money. So an example like this would be uh, Julian Assange. So... The way this worked before is that there was a simple backup system for uh, Bitcoin wallets that you would have a single address with a single private key. And the problem is that whenever you use this address, anytime anyone sends you money or people send or you send money out to someone else, people can link all those transactions together. Like it's clear who owns this uh, single wallet because a single private or like a private key is only controlled by one person. It's secret information. Right. And to, to um, maybe make this a little bit more analogous to our current system, this would be like if everybody's checking account was public, maybe you didn't necessarily know what checking account was tied to what individual person, although you could probably, you know, through some heuristics, hone in on it or figure it out. It would be like um, every transaction fr that you made, like if you wrote a check or paid with a debit card, um, people being able to see where it came from. So if you had $5,000 in your checking account and you paid um, some, uh, like a house cleaning service 50 bucks, they could just simply look at the 50 bucks and where it came from and know that you had $5,000 in your account, which presents some pretty serious um, privacy issues. Um, exactly. That, yeah. So- Yep. And so this, is a, this is a problem for any single transaction you receive, right? If, I, if you give mm -hmm. me money and then I give that to Bird, well, Bird will know that I got the money from you probably. Yeah. Um, with, with some extra tricks involved. However, um, this is especially bad if you have like a lot of people sending you the same money and you're mm -hmm. sending people to a lot. Like now all of a sudden, um, the person who uh, who I buy my coffee from, you know, when I go through the drive through at Starbucks or something, they can see that I received money from you and paid Bird. Mm -hmm. um, so they have nothing to do with <laughs> you or Bird. Um, but however, because I'm using the same address to buy coffee, 
they can see that plus whoever paid me such as uh my job you know my salary for example if they see once a month i get a large inflow of money they can probably figure out how much i make and then i go and spend it <laughs> through the rest of the month yep. so the biggest uh leap forward here doesn't even have to do with coin joins but it was prior to that it was called uh bip 32 which is hierarchical deterministic wallets and that's a mouthful and so i'm going to say that once it's abbreviated hd so what that means is you no longer have to choose between uh, using a single address for every payment and backing up a single private key you can back up one seed right that will generate as many addresses as you want for as many payments as you want so this is really good um, for helping you keep your funds safe and backed up without having to keep on reusing the same address right and but this still doesn't solve the entire problem but at least it makes it a little more difficult so people have to do a little more digging so it's not just blatantly obvious who owns everything right um before we move let's let's just um give this would be this would be essentially like if you had a pin for your checking account but every time and that pin grants you access to all money that ever comes in or goes out um uh but every time you received a new uh, like, let's say you got paid by your employer, it, the, the banking institution or the software would generate a brand new checking account, uh, for that specific transaction, you would know about it, but theoretically nobody else would. Um, so instead of having all transactions coming into one checking account, that's visible to everyone and all transactions leaving. Now you have, you know, a theoretically unlimited amount of checking accounts where every time you receive money, it's generating a new checking account and, and you can then choose to spend from whichever checking account based on who knows about what transaction. Exactly. And the thing is um, like traditional banking doesn't do this, but you can imagine this would be a really useful feature for your email. You have your main email address that you really only want to receive important stuff on. Right. Yeah. But then you sign up for something goofy and it might send you a bunch of crap. Um, so you want to generate a one-time email address that no one can no one can link to all your other uh, stuff. They can they don't know about all your other accounts with this um, you know main username or, or email address. So um, this sort of segregation of uh, who knows what can really help your privacy in other ways uh, beyond just Bitcoin privacy, where you have a unique identifier for receiving something. So the way that Bitcoin privacy kind of evolved in the meantime before coin joins was like these centralized services kind of called mixers. Yep. And these things had bad reputations because um, they aren't exactly technologically advanced. A mixer is just someone else's wallet. You give them money, they give you different money. And um, there's not much <laughs> going on in between there. So these are easy targets of uh, law enforcement operations because they're not only a custodian of their customer's money, but they're also a custodian of their privacy as well. Because once you, you know, get in and get access to their servers, you can just undo all the privacy that they ever gain to where now you know exactly who received and sent money from this uh, business. So right. in a certain way, like a regular centralized exchange, even like if they require KYC, acts as this sort of honeypot, right? To where if I'm sending you you know, car money, but I send you your Coinbase account with your real name attached, then um, you could go backwards, right? And say, oh, well, who, who does he interact with? And you can see he interacts with crew and crew could have his own 
um, real name attached to uh, his exchange account. So you're sitting from one exchange for another to where now instead of from crew to car, now you have our real names uh, completely involved in this transaction. Right. And, and let, let's, let's paint a picture of what, it, what this mixer is um, uh, for those that are not um, knowledgeable of it, I guess this would be the equivalent of if I had received like 20 different, you know, maybe paychecks and people, you know, Venmoing me for a half a restaurant check and all this. And I've got, you know, 30 different checking accounts with various amounts of money. I might send it to a centralized bank or something like that. And then they send me back in, in maybe let's say even increments, let's say I send them five grand in 20 different transactions. I send, I send it to them and then they send it back and create new checking accounts. Uh, so it kind of, theoretically in some sense it breaks the link with the people that paid me because it goes into a centralized mixer that's mixing my money with a bunch of other people's money and then spitting it back to me um, in new checking accounts but what crew's saying is you know you'll obviously note well that may break links between the people that paid me originally and me but at the end of the day it's going through a centralized service a custodial service and they in all likelihood, if they're, especially in the real world, if it's like an exchange with that's KYC that, that has KYC AML, then they know who I am. So they know, so one person, at least one person still knows, you know, all of that information. Right. So there's a central point of failure that, uh, that can reveal your privacy. So an improvement to this is, uh, what's called a coin join transaction. And instead of having a centralized custodian, uh, you can have a centralized coordinator. And this coordinator is not able to steal anyone's funds or reveal anyone's privacy, assuming that they're using certain setups, which we'll go over later. Um, and neither can the other participants uh, in the group, right? No one can steal funds from each other. The coordinator cannot steal funds from any of the participants. And this is done using something called a partially signed Bitcoin transaction, which is, I think, introduced in BIP-174. Um, and what this does is it's a skeleton that allows uh, me to put in uh, the parts of the uh, transaction I'm interested in and then pass the transaction to the coordinator. And the coordinator can pass that transaction to you and you can put the parts of the transaction you're uh, interested in and then send it back to the coordinator. And once everyone is done doing this, the coordinator sends the finished transaction to all the participants. They provide their signature on the full transaction. It becomes valid. And then uh, everyone's cooperated with the help of this coordinator. Right, right. And and it's important to note, too, that this is kind of done at the software level. So this may sound confusing, but um, the the point is that the software makes this easy. We're just going over the, the kind of the workflow of what's actually happening. Exactly. So the way this works in Wasabi Wallet is there's like a what's called the music box at the bottom. If you're familiar with like a play, pause button, um, when you start coin joining, uh, you click play and then a timer starts counting down similar to the way like a you know music starts playing. And then once the song ends, quote, uh, then the coin join should have finished and uh, been broadcasted. So this can fail sometimes, right? Um, the coordinator may pick uh, participants who decide not to provide a valid signature after everyone's, you know, put their uh, inputs and outputs in. And in this case, this is like, can be a denial of service attack around, on the round, mm -hmm. right? There can be malicious attackers who just don't want people to get privacy. And there's no cost to doing this, right? Because if you don't sign and complete the transaction, you don't pay any fees, not to the coordinator, no mining fees. You just, your coin just sits exactly where it was. 
um, because the only cost to you doing this is just signing an initial message to prove that you have inputs, but not signing the following message to actually spin them. Mm-hmm. So this wastes everyone's time, right? They waited this whole, you know, 10 or 15 minutes um, to, you know, gather all the signatures just for you to troll <laughs> and say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so the coordinator's job here is to say, okay, we're going to rebuild the same transaction, but we're going to kick out the people who didn't sign the first time. So this is called a blame round um, to where now if uh, you and me are around and I refuse to sign, you can continue going with the other participants, but I have to wait for the next round. Um, and then if I disrupt that round as well, the coordinators say, all right, I'm catching on to you. You're a repeat offender. You're going to be banned for a whole day. You can try again tomorrow because either, even if you're not doing this on purpose, maybe your internet is really bad. You disconnect every 15 minutes and you're just got to go call Comcast. It's not our problem. It's yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't mean to shit on Comcast. I, I hate, I've moved all around the country and I've had uh, all internet providers and they're, they're terrible. Um, but uh, so there's like a slight variation on this, which you're more familiar with. I haven't used it yet, but you've told me that you are a user of join market, in which case yes. the user themselves is a coordinator for the transaction, which gives them, uh, a lot more flexibility, I guess, in terms of how much privacy they want, who they want to get it from, uh, how much they're willing to pay. And, uh, and even on the other side, if you want to be passive, Sorry, as the coordinator, you're the taker of the transaction, right? You are grabbing liquidity from other people in join market. And as mm-hmm. the maker, you provide liquidity for other people to build their coin join transactions with, in which case the coordinator, which is the taker, will compensate you with a small fee. So there's like a couple different ways of doing this, uh, how to deploy this coin join coordinator. But the one Wasabi uses is centrally, uh, everyone connects to the same coordinator as opposed to people coordinating their own transactions. So I'm curious about your experiences with join market because it's like an upside down version of what I just described uh, for Wasabi. Yeah, it, it's interesting. And and so this I'll, I'll offer this disclaimer. I think I mentioned it at the beginning. My technical chops on what is happening uh, behind the scenes are not probably not what yours are. And, and I, I do not... Uh, claim expertise in this. And in, in that environment, um, we, we said we wouldn't get into this and I don't want to, but, um, you know, between certain coordinators, there's been a lot of kind of bad blood. Um, and so in an environment where I knew that I didn't have the technical chops to kind of really get to the bottom of what was good and what was bad, I kind of leaned on my like kind of, uh, a, observatory chops maybe. <laughs> and I, so I started to, uh, go over to, to join market. Um, and, and my experience with it was, it has been very good. It's, it's a little bit difficult to set up. There's not as much, um, I'll say support. Um, although the join market telegram is really informative and there's a lot of really smart people in there. Um, I, I think that there is a software overlay called jam. I've never used it. Um, uh, that will, that provides a, a graphical interface for using join market. Um, but overall, once you get join market set up, it's actually really, really cool. So, um, if you want to be a maker, uh, that is provide liquidity for these coin joins, because when you, you know, when you're mixing coins with other people, um, if those other people want to mix on demand, they need other people's coins to mix with. So you offer up your, your coins for mixing with other people's in order to create a bigger set 
um, of transactions to to uh, obscure you know where things came from and where things are going. Um, so once you, so in join market, they actually don't have a graphical interface if you want to be a maker. So it's all command line. Um, oh, wow. yeah, it, which is, you know, it, it, that's, that can be intimidating for people. I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been a Linux user for a really long time, so I'm not, you know, at all scared of the command line, but sometimes it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. Um, well, if you I managed to brick my uh, new Linux laptop like twice in one week just trying to install updates. So I'm, yeah. I'm, on, my second, <laughs> yeah. I'm on my second factory reset right now. So I'm in, uh, intimidated yeah. just uh, by that alone. But We've all been I'll there. Man. We've all been there. Um, yeah. So so if you want to be a maker, so let me back up. If you want being a maker is a is a is a great way to to a um, mix your coins. Um, and break deterministic links with previous transactions. Um, but it's also, a, a f- I'll say a fun, because I don't think it's a economical way, but it's a fun way to make a little bit extra cash too. Because you're for the service of providing your liquidity for mixing, um, you're paid a fee by all the people that want to participate in the transaction and enjoy market. That's it's, it's a market, right? Like it's, it's the fees are determined by the open market. Um, so basically what you do is you lock up a certain amount of liquidity. Let's just call it a 10th of a Bitcoin or something like that. And um, it sits there and waits for other people to want to mix with it. And once they do, it'll, it'll go through a mixing transaction. Um, and it, yours, your, whatever, you know, amount of Bitcoin that people demanded to, to mix with you will move to a different address. It'll go into the mix and it'll get spit back out into a different address. And it, it can just sit there. And then that address is automatically still added into your locked up liquidity. So you can just basically put whatever amount of Bitcoin you're comfortable in having it in a hot wallet um, available for mixing and just let it sit there. And you know, every few days, somebody will choose to mix and, and it'll go, you know, the show will go on. Um, yep. You can also be a taker and then you can use their graphical interface. Um, and that is that you can mix on demand based on using available liquidity at whatever fee rate the market has decided. So think, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think this sounds a, a lot uh, similar in terms of this maker taker sort of uh, deal as like the lightning network to where uh-huh. uh, you can you have this like passive um liquidity yes. that other people can use yeah and yes. i think that's like a really attractive um sort of psychological thing even if these are like literally just small amounts of satoshis you get each transaction mm-hmm. that you facilitate for the other people i think it probably it's like a relic of the fiat world where you have this idea that your um you know stack of savings continually increases in value because it's yeah. productive when it's not really increasing in value it's really that whatever you're saving in is just increasing in value because of inflation Right. Mm-hmm. But in these cases with uh, join market and with uh, lightning where you're providing liquidity for other people so they can do something useful with their Bitcoin, then you actually are providing a, a service and it comes at a cost, which is um, having to not it's a delayed gratification. Right. You can't yep. use your Bitcoins yourself uh, as a maker until other people are done using. Them, right. Um, and there's a, a system in there called Fidelity Bonds, which I think com- does something a combination of like burning Bitcoins and uh, time locking Bitcoins to prove that you're honest instead of a civil attacker trying to just surveil uh, everyone else. So that's uh, just a side feature that's a little outside my expertise as well. It's uh, it's quite complex. 
Yeah, and and I, you know, honestly, I haven't updated my joint market in so long. I just have it on this old computer that runs in the background. Um, and they introduced fidelity bonds recently, and and I think basic the 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 overview of that is in order to, like you were saying, with the central coordinator and the participants, there can be bad actors, even if they're not uh, malicious, like bad internet, it could be accidental bad actors. But the the point of fidelity bonds is that you're going to post a, a certain amount of Bitcoin in order to become a maker. And you you will then increase your odds deterministically based on whatever the software says of being picked as a liquidity source by people who want the, the the liquidity for mixing. So like if if I were if I if I really wanted to get into this as more of a uh, you know to make more money and I um then maybe I'm going to go lock up a bitcoin or two bitcoins or something like that in a fidelity bond and then that tells the market that I'm very serious about this and I'm going to be operational 24/7. This is a serious business for me. Um, and I'm going to post um, an amount of Bitcoin for for mixing that is not insignificant. Um, so the the fidelity bonds, my understanding, get locked up. They don't actually get mixed, but they're just a post. Uh, they're they're posted to show basically seriousness. So um, I haven't used them yet, um, and and I still get picked for mixes every now and then. I I mean I I don't even check all that often, but I'll flip the monitor on and be like, oh well, you know, like once a month, like somebody, you know, somebody will mix the coins. But you know, remember I'm also getting something out of it too. Even if I'm only making four hundred sats or five hundred sats or something like that, I'm getting mixed. I'm I'm, you know, for free. Or I, actually I'm getting paid for it. Yeah, that's um, a that's a really good feature. And also a slight uh distinguishing difference between coordinators um or the wasabi coordinator and uh a join market coordinator is that the coordinator in join market is the taker. He actually knows all of the, um, all of the results of the mixed outputs of the takers. However, the result, the reverse is not true or sorry. The, he knows the makers. However, the makers do not know the private coins of the taker. Mm-hmm. Um, so the coordinator actually is able to de-anonymize, um, the coin joins that the take, like the taker coordinates, uh, whereas the, in Wasabi, the coordinator does not know um, any inputs or outputs owned by any participants. Okay. So I think uh, we could probably move on now to like sort of the background requirements that are required to make any coin join uh, private, whether it's to- uh, join market or Wasabi. And those are not what you display on chain necessarily, because when you create a coin join on chain, you create exactly even amounts like no matter how hard you look at it, those two values are exactly the same. Like there's mm-hmm. no way to tell them apart. However, you still connect to the Bitcoin network through other means, not just when you sign a transaction, but when you uh, broad, uh, when you broadcast that transaction, right? Uh, you, yep. you do this with your internet, uh, which has your IP address attached to it, which can link back to your real uh, identity. And then also, like we mentioned earlier, those uh, bit 32 backups, right. That make it easy to use multiple addresses. Well, if someone has your master public address for that, then they can know that your previous address that you use for the coin join and the future address you use for the coin join both belong to the same wallet because they can yep. cryptographically just read the next uh, address on this list and say, well, yep. The first one is uh, address number 12. And then the next address is address number 13. So those belong to the same person. Yep. Whereas you act, you have to have that uh, public key uh, 
master public key in order to make that link. So the idea here is, okay, we have to make sure that we don't leak our IP address and we don't leak our XPUB. And so there's a couple of different ways to do that. Um, the most common way is Tor. There's also I2P. But what you have to do is you use one Tor circuit when you register the input with the coordinator and then a second uh, different unique Tor identity when you register the output. That way the coordinator can't just look at the IP address of the input register and the output register and say, oh, well, that's the same guy. It's the exact same IP address. Um, and then the second thing is you need either a full node, um, which you go and download every single block yourself. And you don't have to ask anyone, you know, hey, how much does my address have on it, right? Uh, in order to communicate with the Bitcoin network, you do it directly as opposed to through a third party that you're trusting with your privacy um, by giving them a list of your addresses. So uh, you can do this with your full node, which is what Join Market does, I believe. Yep. And then Wasabi uh, is a compromise there. It doesn't compromise on your privacy, but it compromises in a way that uh, is kind of like taboo in the Bitcoin network because you don't run a fully valid uh, validating node. You run a, a filtered node, you use compact client-side block filters. And that's like a 99% compressed uh, version of the Bitcoin blockchain. So since we're downloading everything over Tor, it would kind of take really long to download all like, you know, 550 uh, gigabytes worth of blockchain data over Tor, like at least several days. Um, whereas with this 99% uh, compressed, you know, block filters, and we reduce this, you know, even further than uh, all script types to just include SegWit, uh, V0, like, and Taproot, because those, those are the only address types we use in Wasabi. So because we compress all this data down 99%, and we give that to uh, users, it's only about mm, three gigabytes. And uh, then they can use that to only download the blocks that their transactions are included in. So instead of giving uh, the node that you're trying to like find your you know balance from, instead of giving them your exact address, they give you an entire block that contains that address. So, and then you do this with a single use Tor identity once again. So you can even connect two blocks that I'm interested in together because one Tor identity downloads one block, the other Tor identity downs, downloads the other block. And then I could be any address in this block, sending or receiving, you know, whatever. Or it could be a false positive. This is actually programmed to have um, additional privacy so that you will download blocks you aren't interested in at all. That way someone's oh, like, yeah. okay, well, I think, yes. you know, this one guy is interested in these two blocks, but he's also interested in this third, but I don't recognize anything in there that I think belongs to him. So dead end, I guess. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and that brings about another point uh, behind privacy is that, you know, is absolute privacy attainable anywhere? And and the answer is probably no. Um, but it, the goal here uh, is to make it overwhelmingly costly to to track you. And and that like so for in the, in, the, in the example you're giving, if you're constantly downloading false positives, you're just adding uh, to the suspect list. And if the suspect list is, is, is overwhelmingly large, uh, uh, then it, it just becomes very, very costly to, to, uh, run heuristics that track individual users. And I think, I think that's what, um, we're kind of getting at here, right? Yep. And overwhelmingly large is actually like a really good point because the size of the crowd that you're hiding in really matters. So yep. if there's only, let's say, um, 500 users, uh, using Wasabi wallet, then you can't uh, hide among really many people. Like there's only so many people using privacy software. And if all those people are known, 
then it like limits uh, someone's choices when they're trying to make a guess. Cause this is, this is all just based on guesses, right? Nothing's cryptographically mm-hmm. like uh, completely hidden. Like it, it involves like multiple hops, you know, making people guess between uh, a fork in the road, right? To where it's like, oh, I can't tell the difference between these two, but we're just going to have to brute force it, right? Um, so I think that the Lightning Network, once again, is important here in terms of getting everyone on board because Lightning has pretty good privacy as it stands. And there's several technologies that just got merged and are being implemented uh, in the spec that will make it better. Yeah. So uh, a couple uh, issues. And so basically... Lightning is promoted as a payments technology, but it's actually a, a privacy technology and no one's going to realize it until, you know, it's too late, hopefully for right. the uh, regulators. Do we want to get into some of that? Yeah, I'm happy to explain like some of the Lightning Network uh, issues. So, um, and we'll have this, I guess, add this to the show notes, lightningprivacy.com. Uh, I hope I get that right. Let me check before. And we can edit this. Yes, lightningprivacy.com. So lightningprivacy.com uh, covers basically the privacy dis- deficiencies in the Lightning Network, uh, whether it's linking multiple hops together or, um, you know, receivers have really bad privacy. They just openly uh, show their public uh, node address when they receive payments with a Bolt 11 address. Um, and so there's a couple things that help here. So there's what's called point time lock contracts which make it so any two hops on a route um, can't be connected by someone who has, who is uh, two nodes on that route. So this is someone who's spying on purpose, or maybe it's someone who's compromised two nodes on the route. You know, they're they're infected with uh, some sort of spyware and they can tell um, not what happened in the middle, but they can see what happened somewhere in the beginning and end. So it limits uh, the amount of information that's hidden and uh, point time lock contracts are an improvement over the current hash time lock contracts uh, because it just jumbles. It, it gives each hop a unique uh, fingerprint. So then another um, recently uh, um, improved part that was added to the lightning spec is what's called blinded pass. And so the last hop on the route, it reveals the node ID, but you can specify as the receiver um, to pay like one node or two nodes right before they get to you. And that's all the um, sender sees. And then those nodes forward it to you. So, oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So Bolt 12 uh, does this automatically, but that's like a little bit controversial. Uh, people say it adds like too much complexity. Um, people say, and then the other people say that, oh, it's great because it's a lightning native version to do things like uh, a lightning address. Um, mm-hmm. You can do something like uh, offers, which means someone scans a code that you provide and they get paid um, as opposed to scanning a code that you provide and they pay you. So right. there's some really like flexible, unique stuff here. But uh, ultimately, uh, oh, and then one more thing I guess is uh, really important is uh, like a threshold signature scheme like MuSig2 uh, has kind of been finalized and, and worked out. And what that does is it makes your lightning channel instead of appearing as a two of two multi-sig, right, which is distinct on chain, like, hey, this is a, probably a, a lightning channel. Even if you didn't announce to the whole network that's mm-hmm. a lightning channel, when it closes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like one. And so what MuSig2 does is when this channel closes, it just spins it with like a regular public key 
like any regular one person transaction with no smart contract involved. And this is part of the improvements that came with Taproot, right? Yes. So technically, theoretically possible, maybe was just discovered right before Taproot was deployed that you could do this with ECDSA too, like these threshold signatures, uh-huh. but it's far more easier to do it with uh, Schnorr um, uh, Taproot signatures. So uh, Taproot solves like several of these issues and then Blinded Paths and or Bolt 12 solves the others. So you mm-hmm. really, uh, and then additionally, you can break up like a, uh, amounts into small chunks. So instead of me sending you a million sats, I can send you uh, 100k sats, 300k sats, and 600k sats through different channels and people won't know exactly what's going on. Right. And and to put a finer tip on the um, the the taproot and Schnorr signatures and, and music too, uh, what happens when you open a lightning channel is it's lightning channels are always open. Well, I don't know about always. I assume always, always open with a two of two multi-sig transaction that's broadcast on the public Bitcoin chain. Um, And so basically you're, and when it closes, it reveals all the information about the, or not all the information, but it reveals that it, that um, it was a two of two multi-sig transaction. Um, And so you can theorize that that was the close of a lightning channel where Taproot uh, offers an improvement is that it doesn't broadcast all the details, the like kind of the metadata about the transaction when it happens. So like if you have, um, in other words, like a one of three uh, multi-sig transaction broadcast will appear the same as just a regular one of one. Am Am I right there? Yep. And it's really interesting you bring that up because um, this is something else that can affect the privacy of like a coin join transaction, for example. Yeah. Because uh, if you're either the maker or taker, or whatever signer of a coin join transaction, and you are spending uh, using a script that no one else in the round is using, then they can determine uh, that an input belongs to the output. So for example, right. yeah. if uh, I'm the only person... Um, in this case, I would have to have closed the lightning channel with my previous output to where I closed the lightning channel with the two of two multi-sig and then I want to coin join that and then open a new uh, lightning channel within that coin join with a, that will eventually close as another two of two multi-sig. Uh, then it becomes exactly clear which wallet is the input and which wallet is the output because they're both spinning this strange script that uh, no one else in the round is using. So right. that's where the music two um, threshold part of Taproot where it just makes everything look like a public key uh, can come into play, but there's some cooperation involved there. Um, so it's, it's a little more complex than, uh, than the initial just script path where you can redeem your key, keys, no matter what, by just, you know, uh, calling the smart contract, you know, taking that to court, if that makes sense. Right. Right. So, um, I guess if we're thinking about this vertically in layers, now where where if you had like if you had a bitcoin a utxo and you wanted to push it up a layer into the lightning network previously it it's it was pretty obvious that you did that now you're hiding amongst all other public key transactions um so it's not so obvious that you just pushed your Bitcoin up a layer to the Lightning Network or brought it back down, right? Is that kind of a fair? Yeah, that, that is a good point. And then also um, when you're entering or 
and then by the same way, when you exit the Lightning Network, you can do this like, or enter the Lightning Network, you can do this through a CoinJoin transaction so that um, your channel peer, right, can always still see um, like the source of your funds. But if the source mm-hmm. of your funds is a CoinJoin transaction, they can't actually see like the the meaningful source of your funds, right? They can right. see uh, a bunch of noise that obscures kind of who who's the real person that I'm uh, the channel participant with here. Uh, right. Where, where did their money come from? So, you so it's come- it's like um, additional privacy, not just on the main chain when you open and close, but it's privacy, potential privacy on layer two as well. Exactly. Like you, you, so the it, layer it, two it just- privacy only, only applies on layer two. Uh, but yep. layer two inherits all the privacy problems of layer one. So you still have to start with that coin join right, uh, right. in order to uh, at least by the time you close the channel to where you can you can move that without anyone knowing where it came from or where it goes to next. So right. I think that that's like a really important part is like lightning is just like exchanges are not going to adopt coin joins, right? They may even specifically deny coin join deposits, right? Because they don't, you know, you don't tell them before you deposit, they just get the money first and they look at it later and they say, Oh no, we don't like this money. We don't like where it came from. Mm-hmm. So, um, then they might, you know, hold that money or, you know, freeze your account, make you some right. extra documents, do something or make, make you prove, for example, uh, the path where you originally got it from. Because if you want to, like privacy is optional, like it, you're, you're given privacy by a coin join, but you can choose to give it up if you want. There's right. this like kind of weird, uh, philosophical question that, I'm still not sure what the answer is, but can you legally sell yourself into slavery? I don't mm. know. Maybe let's go ask Stephen Kinsella. That's, that's not the episode yeah, for this. Yeah. But uh, uh, so you can give up your privacy if you want. Um, but this is going to um, basically uh, the widespread deployment of Lightning Network is no longer going to make privacy like optional to where right. people have to go out of their way to achieve privacy. They get it by accident. So right. it's currently, yeah. uh, it costs more, right? So if you're gaining privacy, people will, except for a join market, there's a chance that you gain a little bit of money. But um, since it costs more, like explicitly to create multiple outputs of even amounts, because that's the way a coin join works is you you organize your money into twins with, with the other uh, participants. So because you can see that someone has done this, um, it it, they stand out as being a privacy user. But Lightning really solves that because everyone's going to get privacy. No, like no one's going to know where their deposits came from for the, uh, for the um, exchange. No one is going to know where the deposits or the withdrawals are going. And so it really kind of puts the brakes on them effectively stopping people from gaining privacy. Because right. right now, and I think, oh, go ahead, please. Yeah, so right now the U.S. government doesn't, seem to have like a clear regulatory stance on Bitcoin. In some places they say, oh, it's like illegal or kind of illegal, or it's okay as long as you, you know, give us your ID, or it's okay as long as we give you a license, or um, it's okay as long as it's like one cryptocurrency versus another. Uh, I don't really care about Bitcoin, so I don't really care about that. But um, so there's this kind of regulatory um, obscurity there. And don't get me wrong, I prefer that to them having a clear regulatory policy of if you find a Bitcoiner, drag them out in the street and shoot them, right? Because that that's yeah, regulatory sure. clarity. Uh, it's clearly illegal and <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. going to get in trouble. So um, at least they're going easy on us by, you know, just making me give them my dumb driver's license before I can go, you know, buy Bitcoin on Cash App or something. 
Right. And, and to go back to, well, I want to, two things. One, I want to address that portion, but I want to, before that, I want to go back to, you know, remember again that, that this is being implemented into the software. So this is not something you as a user, as a listener of the show are necessarily going to have to think about. People are thinking about it right now and integrated, integrating it into the software and making it more or less standard. And what I think we were talking about earlier with lightning being a scalability, um, uh, improvement to Bitcoin, um, or maybe a privacy improvement uh, to Bitcoin disguised as a scalability improvement is that if we can get all of these things more or less standardized and anyone who wants to accept or, or send Bitcoin is very encouraged to do so on the lightning network because it's just cheap. It's free basically. Um, and they're also, we're smuggling in all of those privacy improvements for all the users. Then it's like, well, now, now we're, we've, we've, the, the network effects have taken over and everybody is more or less accidentally gaining all of this privacy by, by using layer two and, and which is a really important point um, be, because it, it's, again, it just kind of adds to the, um, it adds to the momentum of uh, this thing. So, um, you know, the more privacy that we can get into the lightning network and, and making it easy to use and, uh, and, and motivating people to use the lightning network. I think the better, you know, the faster we're going to get where we want to go. Yep. And then go ahead. Yep. Because, uh, scaling is like a necessity for Bitcoin. Right. And privacy is an option. Um, these companies, you know, these exchanges that don't offer lightning are excluding, um, if they do this like specifically to exclude private transactions, it's going to hit them on their bottom line because now mm-hmm. uh, they're going to lose potential customer base because now much of the customer base is private instead of non-private. Whereas right now, basically everyone uses Bitcoin in a non-private way. Um, yeah. But now you're excluding potential customers. And then also you're increasing the cost to service your current customers because now these um, private transactions are actually the most economical ones as opposed to uh, less economical. So it's a, you have to kind of give in, even if you don't want to give your users privacy, um, just due to the competition, uh, being willing to offer like cheaper, faster, uh, service than, than you do nothing to do with privacy. They only have to promote it that way. And linking that together with what we were pointing out earlier, which is that there's not very much regulatory clarity. And maybe that's a good thing because they drag you out of your house and beat you. Well, you know, this, um, this all ties together with the fact that this, this thing is global and it it operates, um, without having to ask for permission in any legal jurisdiction in the world. And so, um, you know, it, it brings about the global competition and, uh, it won't be able to be shut down. Risks may dictate that prices are higher, but, um, while you might be a soft target and that could be very bad for you, ultimately, you know, the, the show goes on. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, smuggling in as much privacy as we can, um, with the scalability in a, in an environment where this thing acts globally is, um, is killer. Yep. I agree. And, uh, although all this sounds optimistic, it's like, Hey, we're winning, right? We're getting privacy and it's going to be easy. Uh, and then I think Wasabi has made privacy uh, easy on chain already. Uh, Lightning uh, will make 
you know, layer two privacy, hopefully easier. It, we've had a little bit of hiccups in the past, especially you and me. We have a channel that's uh, a little bit on the dead side right now. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, it's a little bit riskier to use uh, Lightning than the base layer because there's uh, just more complexity involved and you have a, you know, hot server and, uh, yep. you know, uh, constantly changing backup. So, for example, once again, like I first mentioned where you, uh, you had the choice between reusing an address, which is bad for privacy, or generating a new address every time, which is bad for your backups. Um, this is similar to Lightning to where every time you create a new transaction, your backup updates to yep. where if you restore an old backup, you lose all your money. So you don't want to do yep. that either. Um, so there's there's some headaches involved, but um, I think that uh, that we're still on the right path for Bitcoin privacy, oh, yeah. that, that we're not going to end up in this, um, you know, when people talk about a cashless society, they don't mean that you're using like digital currency. They mean that you have no privacy, that, you know, mm -hmm. that everything is linked together and that can be used to discriminate against you because of some behavior that the uh, financial overlords want to discriminate against. I kind of think right. about this right to where, you know, I've said some uh, uncharitable things about the government online, maybe even a little taunting manner um, to where I hit a red light, you know, when I'm driving, I say, mm, it's that guy, the government worker at the red light, uh, you know, shop. He saw my car was coming and he decided to turn it red yeah. because, yeah. you know, I didn't vote for, you know, Hillary Clinton or something. <laughs> right, right, so, right, right. Uh, so I think that there's, you know, this danger of people knowing, you know, your personal uh, beliefs or, you know, your personal uh, actions of the past and using it to discriminate you against you in the future, even in ways that you might not be aware of, that they're using it to discriminate against you, right? Where you apply to a job and all these jobs like immediately <laughs> zapping you back a, uh, you know, a denied message. And you're like, what? You didn't even look at it yet, right? Like, yeah. how is that possible? Whereas, you know, my friend here who, you know, votes for the other, uh, the other team, he, he, his says application pending, please wait. Why is that? You know? <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's a uh, certain, you know, ways this dystopia can emerge. And so, um, I think that, uh, default privacy really helps to, uh, to defeat that, you know, dystopia. And so that's a little bit optimistic, but I want to remind people that, um, like this regulatory clarity, like issue, we might be in a honeymoon phase to where the tough part hasn't happened yet. We're all really happy because the price is going up sometimes a little bit down, but mostly up. Um, and you know, politicians might be happy just getting, um, a little bit of, you know, tax money from that. And maybe, you know, they, they get to say that they caught some criminals because they were using it not the right way. Um, and so this ante is probably going to up a lot in the next uh, round on the poker table here because mm -hmm. inflation is going to kick in and people are going to start um, really comparing the dollar to Bitcoin even more than yeah. they are. And so you're going to see crackdowns on um, possibly Bitcoiners themselves, which is, like we said, difficult because there's some privacy uh, privacy things there that make you uh, give you so much plausible deniability to where you can't even beat the money out of someone if they don't have it right. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. no way that um, that they're going to have an effective uh, crackdown on the users themselves. However, there is a physical bedrock um, to Bitcoin to where, you know, people say, oh, well, look, they haven't stopped, um, you know, weed or uh, cocaine or something from uh, from pro proliferating after, you know, 60 years of the drug war or whatever. Um, but the issue there is you don't you can't shut down weed 
by growing half the weed. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> the comparison here for Bitcoin is uh, you can 51% attack Bitcoin if you control 50% of the miners, the hardware itself, plus uh, the electricity to power it. And this is the like only like vulnerable part about Bitcoin. It's the only tie to the physical world is, um, is these mining machines that secure it. So I want to encourage like Bitcoiners to um, kind of consider that their final stand, right? Like some people consider, oh, well, when they come to take the guns, that's it. That's my final stand. Or when yep. they come to, you know, jab me with the vaccine, that's it. That's my final stand. Yep. So I want to encourage people to frame this idea that when they come to take the miners, the actual physical mining machines, uh, that that's your final stand. And yep. it's a little bit more difficult to hide this mining machine because it's very loud. Uh, it consumes energy and produces a lot of heat. So you can see it with like an infrared thing. You can hear it with like a decibel, you know, sensitive decibel readers. Like, mm. so that's where uh, freedom really comes in to where, you know, maybe, you know, this is not possible in some place like, uh, mm. <laughs> well, gosh, I was trying to think of pe- uh, places more regulatory restrictive than the U.S., but it seems like every time you go to like a, <laughs> a website to sign up, it says restricted provinces for uh, margin trading. United yeah, States, right. North Korea, Venezuela, right. and uh, Syria, and it's like and Iran, and like those are the only places you can't register from. Is because it's not because uh, you know necessarily all these people places are bad countries, but it's because it's the United States and the United States' enemies. So that <laughs> no one wants to deal with any of that uh, bullshit on their own platform. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I and I couldn't agree more. You know, in in what you were saying in terms of mining being the tide of the physical world. Um, uh, and I, I think also it, it kind of ties back into, um, the non KYC Bitcoin. I mean, it, I, I, I don't know that mining is the best way to acquire Bitcoin. And I'm not really, I just don't really want to have that conversation. Um, but it, you know, if you are, it, it does seem to me that if you would like some, some non KYC Bitcoin mining is always available there. And, uh, and, you know, if, if you have, if there's, if just theoretically there were, you know, a hundred million home miners in the United States, it would make it a lot more difficult to, you know, it's just strength in numbers. It would make it a lot more difficult to crack down on, um, versus, um, you know, more centralized, uh, mining operations, but the, but the nature of mining is such that there is a degree, there is a, there is a game theory about it that does serve to not necessarily overly centralized, but big mining operations that are adjacent to, to cheap energy is, is always going to be a driving factor. Um, I would, I am, I am pretty optimistic there in that, um, I'm, I'm optimistic, not just on the mining front, but on the Bitcoin front that it's becoming so in, it's be, it's starting to become very entrenched in the mainstream um where big big maybe not big but bigger well you could say with microstrategy um and thing and and companies like that bigger interests are having an interest in it now that's not to say that the US wouldn't favor them and come after the individual because that's of course something they would do right. um but i think overall i am i I know that there are the there are microstrategy skeptics and microstrategy lovers. I don't tend to take a terribly emotional stance on it, other than the than my overall view of the faster we can get this thing going, the better because the defense is unprepared, yeah. um, and the more big 
hitters we can get on our side early, probably the better, uh, because they do have pull in those legacy systems. And yep, exactly. Uh, so people are often concerned about like uh, people infiltrating Bitcoin, right? They, you know, someone's a government mole or a government plant. Um, yeah. There's a particular person who is uh, has you know great libertarian philosophy, but uh, attempted to you know hard fork Bitcoin and create a Bitcoin cash. Uh, his name is Roger Ver. And it's my speculation right. that, you know, you know, this is not a uh, coincidence, right? That, you know, he was trying to introduce what would have ultimately undermined the security of the network, um, but doing it as a friendly, I'm trying to help Bitcoin sort, sort of yeah. guy. Um, yeah, so in I agree. the same way, we have our own Bitcoiners uh, who are infiltrating the government and providing the same sort of, uh, you know, disinformation when they say, oh, you know, Bitcoin is, for whatever reason, you know, not a threat to the government. Or they can say Bitcoin, for whatever reason, does not consume fossil fuels. I don't really care if it does or not, but they can say that right. if they want. If, if it's going yeah. to keep Bitcoin legal and keep me from being dragged down the street, then right. sure, go ahead. Uh, yep. Politician, you know, politics is a dirty game. Um, if, if you have to convince the other team that, um, you know, Bitcoin is really innocent and not going to eliminate uh, the future of, you know, money printing for the government, then go ahead and say that. But, um, I, so I've seen Michael Saylor and mentioned something about how he still sees the dollar as a, as a Bitcoin reserve currency or uh, sorry, as the dollar is the reserve currency for quite some time. And then everyone's jumping on him and saying, Oh, well, you don't really believe in Bitcoin. You're just kissing the dollar's ass. It's like, well, yeah, but he can't, he can't put that target right. on his back by immediately <laughs> yeah, exactly. shitting on uh, the the hand that feeds him. So exactly, and it's not to say let your guard down because there will be another Roger Veer. Um, it, but it is to say like, hey, keep in mind like what he's doing here, um, and like keep in mind what he can, cannot, should, and should not say um, in his position. Um, exactly, so- it's like the once again like the people who are trying to take the guns. They want to take the guns. They want to take all the guns, but they're not right. going to tell you that up front. They're just going to tell exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, they're going to take just the guns from the criminals. Right, um, right. In the same way, just circling back to censorship resistance, and we can wrap this up because this is like a closing point, um, is that uh, similar to how any um, single like minor is not resistant to censorship, right? If the government goes and knocks on their door, it says, mm-hmm. hey, you have a minor, um, shut it down or you know, give it to us or something like that. Um, if you're running a coordinator, uh, you are also like a centralized, you know, uh, entity for which they can knock on your door and they say, Hey, shut it down or uh, give it to us or like abide by our rules or something like that. So, um, having more coin join coordinators is an advantage in fighting the state because then, um, you know, they can't just go knock on one door like they can with like these centralized mixers where they hold all these funds and hold all their customers information. Uh, the worst thing they can do when they get to a coordinator is nothing. They don't get any information about the customers at all. Um, they can't like infiltrate um, uh, the coin join rounds in like a meaningful way without revealing they're doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's good to have more coordinators out there because coordinators are not resistant to censorship. Bitcoin is. Uh, so there's some critics of like Wasabi is that the uh, default coordinator um, you know, maybe under this, you know, sort of threat, but that's okay because uh, the, all of the Wasabi code is open source, including the backend coordinators. So if you wanted to just go copy and paste that, you're now a coordinator and yeah. you can do everything that uh, the Wasabi coordinator does 
without, you know, any sort of influence by anyone else. Um, so we have at least one uh, other person who's done that. Uh, he's a contributor to Blixed Wallet. Uh, if you haven't tried Blixed Wallet for Lightning on your phone, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, oh, okay. But yeah, that's about it. Check it out. Well, good, man. I appreciate you coming on. I know we we covered some kind of technical stuff, but hopefully we made some of it a little bit more understandable. Um, I'm, I, like I said earlier, I'm still I I I think I have the mental capacity to get into the weeds technically, you know, technically, but uh, I just haven't taken the time to do so uh, on some of this stuff. So I appreciate you coming on and kind of explaining it a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think um, y- you know whatever your you determine your workflow might be. Um, I think it is, I I think it would behoove people to think about, well, think about privacy generally, think about surveillance generally, but think about having, you know, some, at least some portion of your stack, uh, that you, you believe is, is relatively private, um, you know, and, 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 uh, have it available to, in time, in case times get a little bit tough. So, um, there, there's a number of ways to do that. I think we've covered a couple of the ways here and, uh, and anyway, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and maybe we should run this back and talk about some other stuff. Yeah. Thank you for giving me the time. I love to talk about, uh, about Bitcoin, especially when it comes to the philosophical topics of, you know, maybe what comes next or what would happen if we fail or, you know, kind of, oh, cause I, I, I think it's a, about the, I don't want to okay. talk about that one. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the latter. <laughs> well, thank, uh, thank you for having me on the timeline. thanks man thanks for coming on all right thanks everybody for listening and hopefully i'll be a little bit more regular with uh the signal uh in the in the coming months and and shit crew if you've got if you've got some spare time maybe uh maybe you can help me become a little bit more regular with this because i don't think i've released an episode in like a year uh yeah no that's it uh just check out the show notes i'm gonna have them add uh lightningprivacy.com and then a short three minute coin join explainer video for you and your friends in case you know none of the shit we talked about made sense here uh a visual you know pen and paper, crayon, demonstration, I'll get it through to you, hopefully. Perfect, man. Thanks for coming on.